0: It's ben, it's ben Reiser, uh, Director of Operations for the 2021 Wisconsin Film Festival. Um, I'm also the head of the programming committee for the Wisconsin Zone section of the festival. I'm here with my colleague Pauline Lampert, who was also on that Wisconsin Zone selection committee. And we are talking today to Scott Homan and James Zimmerman, uh, two people involved in a film that I'm hoping you just watched. And that's why you're here listening to this. Uh, Witness Underground, which is a feature-length documentary, as I'm hoping you know by now, <laughs> that we're showing at this year's festival. Hi, Scott and James. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Hi, Ben, Pauline. Nice to meet you both.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us both.
0: I, uh, I'm going to start off with a question that I sort of ask everybody. And I'm gonna, I am going guess I'm asking you, Scott. How did you come to make this, this film? How did this project get started?
2: It's quite a long journey. Um the short answer is I knew all I knew about half the people the younger group of the people in the film that are in their characters in the film and we were friends while we were all in the religion together. So years later about 10 years later I started thinking how unique that art scene was and I'd been in tu- I got back in touch with some of with Eric and Cindy and started doing some kind of commercial work, creative work. They were they would make music for some video projects I had that were unrelated to this. And then I got to this point where my skill level was a certain level, and I started thinking about making my own projects instead of working on other people's projects. And um, started poking at this idea that we could maybe tell our collective story because I went through a really similar experience that they all went through.
0: So, you too were, were uh, Jehovah's Witness in, in the same sort of community.
2: That's right. I didn't know James, but yes, in the same, in Minneapolis, I was there for a few years, and James is, grew up there. hmm.
0: Right. And, and you ever seen any of the any of the bands play?
2: Definitely. Yeah, I I'd, I'd actually went to um, one of the October Ridge film festivals or sorry, uh, music festivals that was shown off in the film a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the very the very one that those photographs were from, actually, I was at that one. Um, and I'd seen a bunch of different bands and I had been in a band myself and um, I was in a, a band with what witnesses call worldly people. So just regular folks who are musicians. Non uh, witnesses. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Non witnesses. And um sort of had to quit that band from pressure from within the religion. And then I formed my own band around my own music. And then I because of that, I was in the music scene in the Jehovah's Witness world. It's sort of like multi state. We would travel to Chicago to see music. We traveled to Minneapolis. From I'm from the Anago, Wausau area in northern Wisconsin. Oh yeah. And so we'd do graduation parties and stuff. And I met Eric and Eric in Madison actually, um, when I was hanging out with some friends. And then a bunch of people from Minneapolis were coming through, going down to Chicago to see a to see a, a Weezer actually. <laughs> so I met all these folks that way.
0: That's cool. But and th- so, but at what point did you leave the religion?
2: Um, it's it's it, officially I finally left at twenty seven, but I had kind of left at nineteen, and I had done my sort of exit process in Madison um, in, when I was 19 and then sort of kind of went back in for family reasons and sort of did that whole thing again. But because there was this music culture, I sort of like got deeper um, because I'd found some like more serious, I don't know, re- more formative friends, I guess you would say at that age that we all had a, a shared common interest in music and also were in that culture. But yeah, I stayed in for a while and then left later on.
0: I I, I would guess... That that this is the kind of thing that happened to people in your generations, um, all over the world, uh, or certainly all over the country, who are Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, but you know, growing up in, in the in in the in the nineties or in the two thousands, um, that uh, that that music and and I guess film as well were these sort of cultural things that. That that uh, were also avenues towards entering into the world of the worldly, um, and, and and sort of um, uh, sort of uh, snapping out of the sort of religious um, upbringing that you'd had. Did, have you heard of uh, of similar stories, um, uh, you know, around the country or around the world? Like, did, is this a, sort of a common thread? Like, oh yeah, we got into music and then we got out of the
2: Witnesses. From my perspective, I, um, because in the Wausau area, there was quite a few people, the kids I grew up with who were in the religion, I sort of knew them a little bit because I was sort of like one foot in, one foot out of the religion. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew some witnesses and a lot of them played music. Maybe it was common as teenagers to play music, but probably 15 different musicians had left the religion, just from Wausau. Uh, I imagine that that was kind of a common thing, possibly because it was sort of early internet, not a lot of distractions, um, a lot of people played music. Um, I don't know, maybe James, could you answer
1: that? A bit? I can answer it in, from a more general perspective is that people leave the religion because they want to be their genuine self or follow their dreams. And maybe that's not artistic at all. Maybe they want to, uh, study the sciences more, which is really frowned upon by the witnesses, just going to higher education. Actually, among major religious groups in the United States, Jehovah's witnesses have the lowest percentage of college graduates I think it's something like nine percent and that even includes associates degrees Uh, so they're they're largely uneducated from a formal perspective so if you want to go for anything not just because you love guitar it's it's hard to stay in the witnesses or if your dream is just traveling the world how can you do that when you got to go to church three times or if your dream is uh the really nice person at your job that you would like to romance well that person's not a witness so you might have to leave And uh, like like Scott even said, even if it's just playing music, which witnesses in itself certainly think is fine. I mean, the Watchtower Society makes music for them to sing at their meetings. Right. Um, You still are supposed to do that just with your other witnesses. You know, those are the people you're supposed to hang out with, play music with, date, get married to whatever. So if you if you have any dream beyond that little insular bubble, you, you, you either struggle for years or you have to leave
0: well it seems to me that the that the that the religion is 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 flirting with a great degree of difficulty in keeping the younger generations in the fold in that it, they're not like the Amish where they're sort of in these isolated communities that have no access to 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 you know the internet and things like that and they're not like um, I don't well maybe they are a little bit like Scientologists or, or or something like that, where they're they keep, they keep this tight reign over. But but from from watching the film, because that's really about the extent of what I know about Jehovah's Witnesses, other than growing up in New York and and getting the pamphlets at the door and and, and things like that. Um, uh, it seems like they're they're trying to do some of those same sort of things, keeping keeping everything in in within the religion and isolation but they're doing it sort of in plain sight and you're kind of uh there's so much it seems like there's so much temptation it seems like first of all that they at some point they would have the the elders would have been like whoa 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 this whole music thing is a huge mistake we're seeing we're seeing this is the gateway to to leave the religion we need to stop these kids from learning how to play guitar in their in their tweens and teens Uh, but it doesn't sound like they're doing that and I also, I guess I didn't get the sense. Were you able to go? Were, were you publicly educated? Did you go to like, you know, regular neighborhood um, elementary schools and high schools and things like that?
2: I actually feel like James does a great job of explaining that a bit in the film when he says they, they go through compulsory education. Yeah. Um, yeah. Zero through kindergarten to 12th grade. Right. right. But after that, it's pretty much you can't do it. And some people get away with it as long as you can. And I guess that was. You can get away with a lot of things that are sort of not not they're sort of against the soft rules and the soft rules are some of them are you can't get a formal education but if you you happen to be pioneering which is going to door full time and somehow getting an education because maybe someone's funding that for you and you can manage your time and keep both things working they sort of they might reprimand you but you kind of can do it and you won't really have any consequences and i guess that's kind of how the musicians here did it is they sort of kept their standing in the religion at this certain higher level, not just the base level, but a little bit higher. And um, yeah, there's, you'll get, you'll get pressure and it won't just be from the elders. It'll be like different people in your community sort of giving you, I don't know, giving you hassle.
1: Yeah. I think from the, from the 1940s until the 1990s, and I say the forties because that's when higher education started becoming available to a lot more Americans Mm -hmm. And right up until the 1990s, they were saying, you don't need to go to college. Um, Big reasons are because you're gonna be on campus all the time, not able to uh, do all the witness activities. Being on campus, you're gonna be surrounded by non-witnesses. Also, your classes are going to expose you to things like uh, philosophy and evolution, things contrary to what we teach. Um, And there's certainly a lot more chance for you to do things against the religion, such as um, sleeping with someone outside of wedlock or doing uh, drugs or um, taking alcohol to an excess. Uh, But then around the 1990s, they started saying, well, we can understand that times are changing. And so we can understand that some higher education might be needed. So there were a lot of witnesses who would start going to a trade school, maybe to get a license, say, in cosmetology or truck driving, because they understood that uh, a lot lot, and a lot of companies that previously didn't require uh, college degrees were now starting to require, you know, whereas before you could maybe do apprenticeships. Now they were saying, nope, we want to see this certification or this undergrad degree. So I, I, while still a witness, did go to a technical college and got a two-year degree. And that was really... None of the witnesses made me feel bad about it, but it was really treated as an oddball, like I, as if I was the only left-handed person among all of these righties, you know, which I also experience a lot. But uh, they were, they would say things like, "Oh, what do you do there? Or, Are you worried that some of the classes might expose you to some?" uh, God defying teachings, you know, or do the girls just jump on you there? Because that's what we heard college girls do, you know? So they were really concerned with those things. I'd be like, no, no, it's totally cool. I just go there. You know, I don't live on campus. I go back home to my wife every night. And, uh, so it, it was kind of funny how they treated even that. And that was only, you know, a two year degree, but they still were concerned about it.
2: I did a similar thing with a two year degree for, um, for photography and digital media at MCTC in Minneapolis,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and that was an incredible, incredibly cool opportunity to do that. And it's not a very practical education. I happen to keep on; I've kept on using it. Um, but yeah, kind of people didn't give me too much trouble for that at that point. I think Minneapolis happened to be a little bit more liberal, definitely more liberal than where I grew up in Wisconsin, in, in the middle of nowhere, in the rural. The rural communities and the city communities are quite different. Like we'd go out for drinks even. And drinking's not off-limits in witnesses, but we'd go out to the bars after a meeting, for example, in our dress clothes and our suits and ties. But in Wisconsin, you would never be, you'd almost never find a witness at a bar.
1: The other thing is that they don't, um, they, the other reason why they don't think you should go to college is because they think that the end of the world, as we know it, is going to come any day. So like if I told... You know, if you were 18 years old and I said, Hey, you have a disease and you are going to die in three years, well, you probably wouldn't waste your time trying to get a four year degree because you're never going to get it. You know, maybe you would spend time with your family or seeing places in the world you've always wanted to see because you know you're only going to live to be 21. That's the same mentality. So, why would you go spend four years getting a degree when God's bringing an end to this world any day now, within months? I mean, when I was 10, 12 years old, I remember my parents and grandparents saying to me, Oh, you don't have to worry about ever getting a job. You're so lucky because Armageddon will come and God will bring the paradise before you graduate from high school, you know, and then when I graduated from high school and, and a few years later I got married and my wife and I lived in a one bedroom apartment and they're like oh it's so nice you're never gonna have to worry about a mortgage or debt and do not bring a child into this world because God's bringing the end of this system any day now. So, yeah, so then you're also unprepared. So, when I finally did leave the religion, uh, I did go back to school and ultimately got a four year degree, but it was, it was hard because I was a father and a homeowner, eh, you know. So, uh, it, it's, it's tougher to fit those things. And there's no one holding your hand to do it. You know, it's not like I had a mom or dad or uncle or aunt who said, Oh, here's the college I went to. Here's how you do it. Or let me take you around to these colleges. So, you got to kind of navigate everything yourself. So, that also makes it hard um, once you leave to get adjusted to the, the actual world.
0: Yeah. Pauline, um, I'm sorry, you should totally jump in. <laughs>
3: okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I, I have a couple of questions for both of you. Um, I'll start with James. Just can you talk a little bit about what it was like to um, be a subject of a film? I assume you've not done this before. Um, but I mean, what was it like to kind of reveal something so personal about yourself like are, how comfortable are you talking about you know the journey uh
1: on, on the on the one hand i was really excited to do it because i love film i took film classes in college i entered a uh co- student film college and it was a, a student film festival when i was doing my two year it was about fiddler crabs so you're right that this is a lot more personal but uh i was excited to have won that film festival but uh I thought this was an exciting opportunity because Scott was parsing out something very, that was unique, even among the witnesses. And I, I think there should be a lot more documentaries, movies, exposés about the witnesses than there already are. It's a big subject to delve into, but he found, or he didn't find, he he decided to explore something that was just kind of sitting in plain sight. And that was how do these people keep themselves sane when they had all these creative brains in, in this organization that was really repressive. So I thought that was a really Uh, notable thing that he wanted to discuss. So I was excited to to work on it with him. I also uh, wrote a memoir about my experience growing up as a Jehovah's Witness. It's called Deliverance at Hand, and that was published in 2013. So a lot of the questions that Scott asked me or that even things that I'm saying now, I remember that, yes, I wrote about them in the the memoir that was published then. So I had already kind of told my story. I also... Uh, thought I was kind of an odd choice because I have no musical ability. I can't sing. My guitar just sits zipped up in a bag in the basement and is out of tune. And I wouldn't know how to tune it. So I thought maybe I'm an odd choice, but I was always hanging out with those guys. I was often filming them. In fact, a lot of the uh, vintage footage that Scott uses is from videos that I took in the, in the nineties and early two thousands. So I was, I liked being a part of it that way. So I, uh, So maybe I was a good addition because I was showing there were creative outlets even for the non musician like I like to write I ultimately wrote my memoirs I like to create films that's why I wanted to be part of this with Scott that's why Scott was able to use footage that I had from VHS tapes from 1993 or something you know so.
3: That's awesome. (laughs) I want to talk about the music videos because I thought that was some of my favorite stuff. I was like, they were fun to make. Yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, I felt so special because I thought this is the official music video of this song that that I created. I was so proud. I have no musical ability, but I'm behind the camera pressing this red button. So that means I'm creative too. So.
3: Yeah. I mean, they just kind of look like, I don't know, like, pavement videos you know like they just that like lo-fi um mm-hmm. like something that would pay play on you know what are they like 120 what is it 120 minutes is that the show? yeah 120 um, minutes sure <laughs>
1: something well, like a lot that. of them were filmed with the uh camcorders that had a complete vhs tape in it you know so they had to sit on my shoulder yeah and then a lot of them we edited like we would put titles on them or obviously remove you know bad takes right so feeding them from one vhs tape to another would immediately mean a degradation in quality despite the and you're already starting with a vhs that's not the best in the first place so it's amazing that you can even make out you know moving humans in these videos when i think about the quality (laughs) we were dealing with and of course i was just a teenager right so it's not like i had a ten thousand dollar camera on my shoulder i had like the best by budget model that i could afford so yeah i do (laughs) are they are
0: are those videos available to for people to see online now, like, can we go to YouTube and check them out or?
1: I have some of them. I would have to go back and check, but when, yeah, when YouTube was starting, I thought, Hey, I got a bunch of videos. I'll just throw them up there just so I can link them to friends and stuff. But yeah, if you go to, I think I call it Zimmer scope. Okay. Kind of a making partly my last name is Zimmerman and then also like just cinema scope. So if you go to Zimmer scope, I have a few that I made as a teenager with uh With the people who appear in the videos in scott's uh, documentary i mean
3: awesome um and then so scott i have a a question for you kind of along similar lines so like this is clearly a a very personal subject for you um how did you go about kind of i don't know divesting yourself or like taking kind of a long view um enough so that you could like i don't know like get no, like understand how to tell this story coherently for an outsider
2: it's a good question um, there's a lot of content like there's a lot of content on this religion on the internet already a lot of documentaries news agencies do this and usually their their audience is the general public and so i I guess I wanted to have a similar like large audience the general public um, and to do that well I did have to like take a step back and i I worked with this editor on related small projects, and she's not related to the religion at all. She's a British editor who lives in the states, married to a friend of a friend, Um, and she she did the story editing. And I don't think I could have done that. It was like I think every interview with the five people in the film, including James, was about three or four hours long. There's a lot of a lot of topics were covered, and our editing editing style wasn't like here's the 27 questions we want to answer all in the exact same order. It was just letting the conversation flow and letting people naturally tell their what they wanted to tell. So it was just a lot, like the mountain of footage that was dropped on her. It would have, and I've you know I've I could probably cut this thing a thousand different ways. So it was great to just sort of hand it off, and she came back with like a two-hour cut. And she's like, all right it's your job to cut 30 minutes out of this. So then it was, how do we pare down? Like how much are we gonna talk about the music scene? How much are we gonna talk about the religion? So we kinda of wanted to do something that most uh, documentaries haven't done before on this topic, which is sort of um, explore how the culture works rather than tell people why the religion is bad or why the religion has how the religion has hurt people. We get to that, but you already then know what they had and um, what they might lose so uh, I feel like, yeah, it was interesting intertwine. There's some things that I still feel like we maybe we could have cut or maybe we could add some more, but hopefully it, it piques people's interest to go research it themselves.
3: Yeah, I guess uh, I'm curious if, if you've shown this film to any current witnesses um, and what their reaction is.
2: <laughs> That's a great question. I, I would like to know. I should invite someone. Right? I, maybe I'll start advertising directly on Facebook for the Year Film Festival. Um, well, this is, they're going to see this after this is already out. But um, maybe target Jehovah's Witnesses for <laughs> to see if they'll go watch it. But yeah, it's it's interesting because like there's quite a barrier, as you might imagine, for sure. There's a barrier between me and my family, um, or anyone. Like uh, there's a big barrier between us and our families and our friends that were in the religion. And this is all a long time ago for both James and I. But there's a uh, like there's just no no communication. So like if they know that I'm making this film or that I'm even out of the religion, I'm trying to contact them to find out what they thought about this film i'll never hear back but hopefully hopefully you can get that kind of information maybe in some comments or reviews somewhere
1: you know it's a excuse me it's considered a sin for them to have any association or dealings with former witnesses and they even would take that as a passive dealing which you would get from a movie right so A former or a a Jehovah's Witness would sooner watch uh, a movie like Borat, which is filled with um, foul language uh, and all sorts of banal humor and things that are not very Christian-like, right, Um, than they would watch this documentary because this one was made by and is about former witnesses. So, yeah, I, I could... Posted on all sorts of social media and email all the people I know who are Jehovah's Witnesses, and I would be surprised if any of them even wrote back and said, "Oh, hello, haven't heard from you in years." You know, because I wouldn't hear anything. You know, Mm. the only about the only Jehovah's Witness who does keep in touch with me is my mother. She lives several states away, so we go months without talking. And I think because I have her grandchildren, she I have that connection to her. Um, But yeah, if I said, "Hey, I was in a documentary," she would not want to see it so she would probably even tell me if i pushed it on her
0: would she would she theoretically get in trouble if people if other witnesses found out that she was in touch with you
1: uh there's a little bit of a leeway for family members they understand that family sometimes has to have dealings let's say grandma has passed away and there's a funeral to decide or something um so my mom kind of covertly has dealings with me. Like I said, she lives several states away, so it's not like she's dropping by my house every day, but uh, most summers, obviously the uh, pandemic put a stopper to that last summer and this summer, but most summers she comes for a visit uh, to visit a lot of her friends and family in, in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, and she'll spend a few days at my house but we avoid talking about the topic of religion. Of course, I don't want to make her uncomfortable. I'm glad she'll have something to do with my children so that they at least know that um, I do have a family there. You know, they're, they have all of their mom's relatives, which is kind of sad, but they only, they only have essentially one set of grandparents and just her, the, you know, the, the people on her side of the family. So uh, my sister is also no longer a witness. So they do have her as an aunt and, and her husband as an uncle, but, and I, if, If a witness was to even secretly watch it, I think it would really bother their conscience because they would think they're doing something against God and the religion, and they would probably divulge that to the elders if they were devoted witnesses. Something similar happened because I had written uh, several letters to the Watchtower Society asking them questions about things I did. You know, I was just honestly, sincerely wanting the answers. And I subsequently posted those on the Internet after I left the religion because I thought, well, other people should know this. And a friend of mine uh, named Laura, who is, as far as I know, she's still a Jehovah's Witness. But about 10 years ago, she went onto that website just to read what I had sent to them. And she told the elders because I think she must have felt bad about it. I don't know if it just came out accidentally. And she was disciplined through the church for doing that. so And that's funny because that's just letters between me and the Watchtower Society. So half of what she was reading was written by the Watchtower Society itself, the same people who, who write the Witnesses' literature. So the documentary would be similar, yeah.
2: yeah. And an active pioneer at the time, right? Like you were yeah. in the religion at the time. So yeah, it's like so a, I was sincere. was Jehovah's, Jehovah's conversation.
1: Yeah, it's not like nope. I was writing letters saying, here's why you guys are so terrible. You know, here it is not like I'm nailing a thesis onto their wall saying here's here's your grievances. I was saying I honestly have some questions. So
0: Yeah, we see those letters in the film,
1: right? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Are those to the same ones? Yep. Yes. The um the this
0: the the section of the film where where Ryan uh talks about what the sort of the final straws or when things clicked into place for him. And I think it was revolving around Noah's Ark and the Great Flood and figuring out that that couldn't possibly have happened. And then discovering that this Darwin quote was taken out of context kind of reminded me of this like M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Village, where like Joaquin Phoenix and Bryce Dallas Howard, they're living in this village and they think there are these, they've been told that there are these monsters outside the... Village perimeter, and then they, you know, they sort of at the end discover that no, it's all been complete bullshit, and they were, um, you know, they're, they're living in like a, know, you know, they're living in current day uh, America, and they're like in a park or something. Um, but um, did did the did the two of you have those similar sort of like light bulb moments, or was it much more of a gradual like this doesn't sound right to me, or I heard this other thing, and or, or was it kind of like Ryan where the, there was this turning point?
2: I have an answer to that. Um my experience so I had i had like 1 foot in the religion 1 foot out kind of because my all my like close friends were just normal people and I was there wasn't that many witnesses in northern Wisconsin that I was close to. In Wausau it was like half 45 minutes away. There was a few but I wasn't close to any of them. Um and then most of them left pretty quickly. So I made friends with them and then they were out of the religion and I couldn't hang out with them anymore according to the religion. Um but what I used to say, because I kind of had that, like, loss of these new friends at that point.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What I'd say to other witnesses that were, like, dealing with, like, they can't talk to some friend because that friend doesn't believe anymore or something, or they got kicked out, disfellowshipped is the were they use. was there's a thousand reasons that are so obvious why we should leave this religion, but there's just, like, a few that keep us here. And so, like, flip that on its head. Like, you're not just trying to find finding one thing that, like, is the catalyst for you to leave? It's like this mountain of things that you're like contemplating, thinking, or keep on coming up in life. But you stay because your family. You stay because you selfishly want to live forever. It's like they they put they put immortality on a stick, and then um, then they, they use prophecy a lot. Like and a lot of religions believe that prophecy is is true, and that the things that were said, the, like they were fulfilled later. But we don't know that. And it's he, you know it's like some one person's perspective and one person talked to God and then what God said came true and he tells the story it's you know this tall tale and everyone's like uh, impressed um, anyway that kind of stuff witnesses put a lot of weight on is prophecy and then of course this religion saying well the end of the world is coming on this date or they you know they keep on they've been doing this since the 1870s and the witnesses are the followers keep on believing it every time even though they're wrong. 100% of the time they believe that the next time they must be right um anyway it's like this the end's about to come we are this elite group who have this special knowledge somehow we have to share it with the world it's our duty like all these things feel like you're on a mission it's like this you're somehow part of something very important bigger than you um you, people i say for that kind of stuff but then later on it was like one little tiny thing that triggered me to like leave and the thing for me was i was you know a Spanish-speaking congregation. Not that that matters, but, like, the guy gave a a very homophobic talk. And it was just, like... I just looked around, and everyone's nodding, like, what this guy said, which, to me, was very offensive. Um, Because there's a lot of homosexual... or, you know, non-straight people in every cross-section of society. And so I had friends who were clearly not straight in this religion who were keeping it quiet. And a lot had left because they were gay. So... It was just like this offensive thing. And I looked around, I was like, I'm in a room filled with crazy people who believe and hold these standards that I think are wrong. And I just like got up and left and I never went back. But that was like my little moment. But it wasn't the thing that was like it wasn't like, "I'm, I'm straight." So like, it was just sort of like a anyway, it wasn't a, that wasn't a big topic for me. It was just like a moment that was like finally the last straw. And, and partly, like, my, my, real, my real, like, epiphany was actually the same thing as Ryan's, which is why it's in the film, because Ryan's, not only does he tell the great story about the flood, but, like, the, the concept that, like, the flood isn't real, and re- doing all the research in the world that I could to find out whether it was true or not. It's, like, overwhelmingly did not happen 4,500 years ago, which is what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. And, you know, it's like, if they're, if they're lying about that, or if that's not true, then all these other things that I was holding up in like i guess holding up my own disbelief i guess is that the not the right expression but um just it was just like okay i'm i can't do this anymore if all these if all these little pieces are wrong they must all they must not be the true religion or maybe there aren't any true religions so i just like stopped like pretty quickly
1: for me it was the flood too as you saw in the the documentary because Ryan and I were even talking about it at the same right, time. He right, just, right. Uh, he was just honest with himself a lot sooner than I was about it. But a thing that Scott didn't mention that I want to bring out is that according to the witnesses and, and their literature, you have to agree with all of their tenets. So as a comparison, I know plenty of Catholics who consider themselves faithful, loyal Catholics, believe in God, believe in the church, but they'll tell you things, you know, that they don't believe in everything. Like maybe they'll say they think papal infallibility is is absurd, or maybe they practice birth control, and they're still allowed to be members of the church, and and they still attend, and they still hang out with the other Catholic members of their family and friends. But with the witnesses, you have to agree with everything. And even though witnesses will admit that they've been wrong in the past, next time witnesses come to your door, ask them, say, "What are they wrong about right now?" And they they will say nothing. And I even asked my grandfather that; it was a very, who is a very devout witness to this day. He calls the Watchtower Society his mother. And I said to him, doesn't it seem like they were wrong? They must, they must be wrong about this because A, B, and C. And he said, you know what? If they are, they will let us know in due time. And the important thing <laughs> is just that we follow the Watchtower Society no matter what. So finding out that the flood isn't wrong, I think if I if I was a Catholic and found that out, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, well, maybe the Bible's not literal where all of my priests say, right. where my priest sure. says it's literal. Oh, well, I'm still going to come here Sunday because I like the, the snacks and the socialization or whatever. But as a witness, I realized, oh, shoot, if they're wrong about that, and then in the Gospels, Jesus talks about the flood as if it's a real thing then that must not be true too and then that messes up the whole creation account and and i can ask the watchtower society you know if if there's something wrong with my brain or if i'm reading something wrong here which is why i wrote them letters that i talked about with ryan like you saw in the documentary but then i remember um i remember mentioning it to my my ex-wife well she was my wife at the time and um she even said, well, what's the big deal? Maybe that part is figurative. And maybe the Watchtower Society will, will say, maybe in five years, they'll come out with an article saying, guess what, the flood is figurative. Or it was right. just, just local. It just covered what is present-day Saudi Arabia or something, you know, not the whole planet. And I said, well, it had to have been worldwide because Jesus said it was worldwide. And even if we... And if we disagree, then, you know, we're apostates. So we have, to, we would have to leave. And we are like, oh shoot, let's keep this under wraps. And we did for a few years, but then Ryan, who's super smart and inquisitive and loves reading about science, he brought it up one day. And so we talked about it with him and and my wife, and I still managed to lie to ourselves about it for another couple of years, you know, but Ryan, he left within weeks because he does evidently doesn't have that filter that I have where you can self, <laughs> self deceive. <laughs> Good for him, yeah. but.
3: I have, uh. I have so many questions, but I feel like <laughs> we could be here a while. Um, but I don't like I I want to ask like a bummer question and I want to ask a fun question. Which do you think? <laughs> sure, do you it's prefer? like you have
1: bad news and good news. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Should we start with the bad news and uh, well, try to I, end I mean, on a higher note.
3: <laughs> yes, I mean, I get these are both one is much easier to answer. But I just think like I'm thinking about your stories and I'm drawing parallels to other oh, I don't know, world events, other mass delusions that are out there. Um, and I, I just want like, it's kind of heartening to hear your story about like kind of coming to a realization that what you've been told you're, from from people you trust is not true. Um, and I'm wondering if you, I don't know, have any thoughts about um, parallels between um, like Jehovah's Witnesses and, and like conspiracy theories. Um, and and how that all works and how how you, you can get people to see past what they've been told.
2: I would I would call a lot of what Jehovah's Witnesses believe a grand conspiracy theory. How to change that. That's that's a trick. That's a big trick. <laughs> there's there's quite a few activists. Um, there's one particular who's bit, he's prolific, I guess you would say, in the ex-Jehovah's Witness community. His name's Lloyd Evans. He has the Lloyd Evans, or the John Cedars channel, Lloyd Evans channel. He's this British guy based out of Croatia. So it's pretty global. There's ex-witnesses in every country in the world. Um, but uh, he does a good job of trying to, like, logically walk people out of the religion or give them resources to help them, like, deconvert themselves. Because you can't just, if I come out and try to, you know, talk to my family or talk to a Jehovah's Witness, an active Jehovah's Witnesses, they're going to put these guards up and walls up, and they think I'm somehow this, like, spiritual enemy sent by satan to like deceive them and then it's like this this whole myth that they believe and they put a guard up but um everyone has a doubt and there's no one that can believe everything that this religion teaches because they teach a lot of really absurd things and have a lot of very absurd practices i can't really answer the how to deconvert or help someone deconvert themselves part
1: i was gonna say it definitely depends on the person because both ryan and i are very scientific thinking people. We like reading about science. We're into that, that, uh, you know, learning about that stuff, like the hydrology uh, of the flood, the oceanography, the biology of life, the sciences. So that stuff is what was a turning point for us, maybe because we understood it better than a lot of other witnesses. Uh, I know when my sister left the religion a few years before me, uh, it was a lot more emotional. You know, she was needing help. And the only help she was getting was people saying, you just have to attend the meetings and you just have to pray. So for her, that was what compelled her to leave. And certainly, as like Scott mentioned before, if you're uh, LGBTQ, then their stance against that is gonna hit a lot closer to home than it would to, to Scott or I, who were two straight men, you know? Um, so yeah, it's it's hard because it depends on the person. And like, again, like if my mom was to come or where would I start with her? Because as Scott said, she just immediately puts up the walls. And and it's, it is comparable to other conspiracies because if I meet someone who believes in a flat earth, I would not know where to start with them because they have such a confirmation bias and they have all of their dominoes standing in place that that maintain their illusion for them. It's almost like it has to be, not almost, I think it is that it has to be a self-discovery. Like with me, I wanted to really learn more about Noah's flood. I wanted to find out some of the scientific uh, bases for it. And so I did my own exploring along with my wife. And we wrote to this Watchtower Society sincerely, you know, whereas if someone had knocked on our door and said, hey, guess what? The flood is a myth. Read this brochure. I would have slammed the door and thought, get out of here. You're in league with Satan, you know, or I know it's true. The witnesses tell me this is weirdo showing up at my door, you know, why do people show up at people's doors? That's weird. So uh, it really has to be your own, your own discovery, I would say, for the most part.
0: And thanks very much, both of you. Thanks so much for bringing this film to the festival. I'm really excited for everyone to see it, and um, it was a great glimpse inside of a world that I didn't know anything about, and a really fascinating journey that we get to take with all the people and their music and their and their music videos that we <laughs> that we get to see. Thank you yeah, so you're much. You're welcome,
1: Ben. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, meet you and talk with you.
2: Yeah. And for me, it's really special to have you accept the film in in Madison. For me, that's where it's sort of the whole story began.
0: Yeah, that's great. I'm so glad to hear that.